Hello, hello. Welcome to our Job the Stamp podcast. If it is your first time tuning in, welcome. And if you've been following the gang for a while, welcome back, my friend. This podcast showcases talented young scientists from different parts of the world who, with their undeniable passion for science, dedicated mindset, diligent work, and exceptional achievements in the STEM fields, are making a lasting impact today for a brighter tomorrow. We also infuse science with the humane aspect of it, showcasing the person beyond the project board. The guests are ISAF, USIS, SIUS, RSI, and ITEM alumni. You can discover more about that on www.dropthestand.com, linked in our bio. If you enjoy listening to the episode and think this is worth tuning into, feel free to share it with others tagging the pod because we love seeing some supportive queens and kings. And now, let's jump right into the episode and discover who is gonna be dropping the stand today. Let's welcome and give a round of applause to Boglarka Echadi, our next guest on the pod. Bogi created an algorithm that detects rip currents using deep neural networks and artificial intelligence in computer image analysis. Due to the difficulty of recognizing them and the unpredictability of their development, they cause numerous deaths worldwide. Her work was incubated at UC Santa Cruz and was awarded first prize at the Scientific and Innovation Talent Recruitment Contest for Youth by the Hungarian Association for Innovation. During the summer of 2020, she interned at Imagilabs and in medical physics at the Medical University City of Vienna. The medical research group focuses on image-driven radiomic analysis of tumors to optimize treatment decision-making processes. Boogie is also a junior Templeton Fellow. Their program recognizes exceptional cognitive talents. She's a young member of the New York Academy of Sciences, a FameLab Hungary finalist, TEDx speaker, and ambassador at the Association for Hungarian Women in Science. This episode is actually supported by and the result of a collaboration with the Hungarian Association for Innovation that focuses its ample activities on the economy stimulating the role of innovation. They do not only award exceptionally innovative companies, but also organize the most prestigious national youth innovation contest in the country and send student delegates to USIS, ICEF, Science, and the Noble Week. I guess these are familiar to your ears. And also CASTIC, Swiss Talent Forum, the London International Youth Science Forum, and the International Wildlife Research Week in Switzerland. This year marks its 30th jubilee and personally, as an awarded alumna and communications director of the Society of Hungarian Young Scientists, I could not be more grateful for the professional support, opportunities, and unforgettable journeys this association has presented. I guess now let's get going and jump right into the episode. Well, guys, a bit of preface to this episode. Boogie is going to be the first official Hungarian guest on the podcast. She attended the same competition I did back in the day and won first prize at the Hungarian Innovation Youth Science Contest. 
Now, Bogi, welcome to the podcast. I've been following you for a while. Um, you know, you announcing exciting news on your feet, a newer milestone in your research journey. But I'm so looking forward to get to know you as a researcher and a person beyond your work as well. Hi, Blanca. Thank you for welcoming me. It is really exciting to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm really excited to uh, to get to know you more. We've recently met at the 30th Jubilee contest, just uh, a bit of FYI for the listeners when they announced the new contest. Now let's dig a bit deeper. And I'm so interested to ask you a bit of, about your background. What drew you closer to the world of innovation? Essentially, where did your story start? I think I've always been like a very curious child so I think my favorite question was like why and how and how does that work so this essentially like led me to be open-minded to like everything science and and technology and also art because uh, that's another of my passions and I think I started to become more interested well, first robotics and, and coding when I changed schools um, I, when I was uh, 11 years old and uh, since then, I think I, I just, I don't know, I just fell in love with the whole um, aspect of critical thinking and problem solving. And I started to attend more and more competitions um, in different uh, like areas and uh, mainly robotics and, and uh, technology. But uh, I think my, like the first milestone in, in my career was when I was selected to the Hungarian Templeton program. Um, which was like a, a, a very big a national program for uh, Hungarian cognitive talents. In that program, I, I think I really just step, stepped out of my, of my comfort zone and um, got to know a lot of people. Um, and I could really try uh, myself in different settings. I think that's a bit of my background and how uh, everything started. And, and uh, after, after that, I just... I think I continue to um, be involved in uh, in a lot of uh, things uh, out, outside of uh, school. I even did a, a TEDx talk on on this whole robotics and uh, art fusion and how how it helps me in my in my life and how I find the golden middle way between these two areas to um, express myself and and create something unique in my environment. I could also mention the um, New York Academy of Sciences, which uh, is a really great institution, and they offered um, many programs to high school students, and I attended all three of them. So <laughs> I have a bit of an uh, experience with um, with STEMU um, and Thousand Girls, Thousand Futures mentoring programs and also Junior Academy. And uh, through this community, I actually got to know um, a very cool opportunity, which uh, just changed I think my entire life and uh, and that's when more serious research started for me and that was the the science internship program at at UC Santa Cruz in California. So and that was last year so I I started to um work with uh, them I spent two two months um in California and um and I started to work with this uh, recurrent detection project which ended up being a a winner project uh, this year at the innovation competition in Hungary. 
I loved hearing about your diversified interest and that you combine and embody the infusion of art and science in robotics and self-expression. I want you to tap into that because I think it's such a unique field. And I would like to ask, how do you combine those two fields? How can you tap into those more vulnerable parts about yourself and such a, I think, objective and perhaps rigid field um, that could be translated into robotics? Yeah, so um, I think after a while, I started to realize that um, being in in both of these um, environments, I couldn't really like, I'm not saying I couldn't fit in because I did and I felt amazing with all these people. I just felt that there's always like something um, a little different uh, you know, like between the uh, among the artists, I always felt like I'm a bit a bit more like scientific and analyzing and and um, also uh, among like um, programmers, I felt a little bit more artistic. So I, I also had um, I think I had these two aspects and I, I realized that this is a, a huge opportunity as well, because um, I could apply these uh, skills in, in both fields and, and give something uh, unexpected sometimes. I think this also um, helped me a lot when I was uh, thinking about, well, I'm constantly thinking that's, that's my number one favorite thing to do. And, uh, and I thought about a lot, like, you know, growing up, obviously you're starting to um, get to know yourself, get to know the others and, and just the world and, and try to find your place in it. And I was a really shy child back then. And I think that this experience and having uh, these multi-spectral aspects of, of uh, different fields also helped me to, to be more thoughtful and, and confident in my life. So I think it helped me a lot. And, and I, I realized that, that a lot of people might say that this is not a common thing to, to be both an artist and a scientist or, or a researcher or, or a programmer. But uh, as I got to know more and more of the world, I, I realized that this is actually an amazing thing and, and, it, and it actually exists out there. And this diversity is, uh, is a really special and uh, unique thing to have. Absolutely. And your strong right and left brain orientation, which might have seemed a bit of a hindrance or a quirk at first, essentially added that wow factor into your works, your perspectives, and how you handle research projects. And I think that traveling to a distant country must have tremendously helped you growing outside of your comfort zone to add to you know self-exploration and not just by exploring yourself specifically but by building relationships with others whether that might be in friendships or work relationships you've mentioned uc santa cruz and i would love to hear more about your journey and what's your experience been like and you know spending two months in the u.s and such a young age with that uh two month full scholarship yeah absolutely and um well, I will tell you a secret that I was really afraid, like a lot of things <laughs> as a kid. So I had oh. I had agoraphobia, I had claustrophobia, like every kind of phobia you can imagine. And <laughs> I was really afraid of, of many things. And, and also public speaking was another um, one of my uh, biggest fears. I think that this 
um, perspective and some, somehow this I, I had this inner driving force that kept telling me to to um, leave my comfort zone again and uh, set higher goals and and reach them and go forward. And I had this desire to constantly grow and and uh, do things that you know that were like the scariest things for me. So that's how that's how my uh, TEDx uh, speech also came into picture, and that's how actually this program um, was because I was really afraid to go to California. I haven't spent um, like I think more than two weeks away from my family in my entire life. I live in a rural uh, area of Hungary, so it wasn't really like common um, for my generation to do such trips or or do um, research abroad. So I was really uh, a pioneer <laughs> here in my community. And although I, I, I felt I was encouraged, I was also a little different in, in many things. And and uh, and I couldn't really uh, handle this uh as you know just like a a huge opportunity but i could also see how how difficult it was i had a really tough night in in the us and after that i just realized that you know a lot of nice people are out there and uh, and i just explored all the positive uh, aspects of it and i i made a lot of friends and uh, it had a tremendous effect on on my personality as well. Yeah, it was a big a big challenge, but it was also a wonderful experience. And you know, it was just so it was so great to to um, visit Stanford University, which which is my uh, dream university, and uh, go to the Google headquarters and Facebook and just see all these things that uh, I usually see um, behind a computer screen at home. So. It was a really exciting journey, and uh, we could also explore um, a bit of uh, California. It is beautiful, uh, absolutely fantastic, and it was a really great experience. And I also started to um, work on this project, on this rip current detection project, and it was my first uh, project uh, involving artificial intelligence and deep neural networks and machine learning and all this uh, like serious stuff that uh, was really interesting to me, but I had uh, never had the opportunity before explore these fields. You've alluded to the fact that you've had claustrophobia and how challenging it must have been to sit on that long flight to California. But I think that your story is such a source of inspiration to many because you were, as you said, a pioneer organism. And biologically, those kinds of organisms are introduced as new species or you know those ones that bring something new to an unstable environment and you are truly embodying that and also that you could visit such cool places and the computer visual visualization turned to be real life and higher resolution in that sense. You've mentioned that during this journey, when you've overcome those obstacles that are in your way, you've expanded your horizons and dived deep into research. And I would love to hear what you brought to the stage, essentially, of the Hungarian Innovation New Science Contest and how you developed that project that was, I think, in a way conceived in California, the place of incubation for that innovative idea. Yeah, exactly. As I mentioned, I, I didn't know a lot about this field. And um, 
the uh, object I tried to uh, detect in, in my project was actually something I have never encountered before. It's called uh, a rip current. And it's something that you, you, you will definitely uh, not meet in Hungary. So the rip current is, uh, is a strong current of water, um, which, which moves uh, directly away from the shore, cutting through um, the lines of breaking waves. And it is generally not more than 80 feet wide. And the uh, rip currents typically reach speeds of one to two feet per second. However, uh, some rip currents um, have been measured at, at eight feet per second, faster than any Olympic swimmer ever recorded. And uh, it was both um, fascinating and, and terrifying to me because I have never um, encountered this uh, phenomena before. And uh, I could see that it can be even more dangerous to, to those people who, who live in a landlocked country who can actually never meet these uh, dangers. And with the uh, increasing um, traveling and, and uh, flying, more and more people can go to these places and uh, have a nice vacation, but they need to be aware that there are these uh, dangers out there and that can be really uh, life-threatening uh, as well. So a rip current um, actually forms because of wind and breaking waves uh, surface water towards uh, the land. And this causes a slight rise in the water level along the shore. And uh, this excess water tends to flow back to the open water via the route of least resistance. According to the U.S. Life Saving Association, the annual number of deaths due to rip currents um, exceeds 100 in the United States. And they account for over 80% of rescues performed by surf beach lifeguards. Well, obviously, more people die in, in accidents um, due to traffic than in, uh, because of rip currents. But uh, this was also something that deserved more uh, attention. It is very difficult to, to recognize these, these uh, rip currents um, with a bare eye. We only have those signs out there that uh, show us that there is danger. They can form on a sunny day, uh, anytime, anywhere, and uh, they can cause a lot of damage. So our solution to this problem was uh, a detection algorithm. And we used an existing uh, detection framework called FasterRCNN as a base for our solution. Basically, a computer stores an image pixel by pixel, and uh, each of these pixels have three values, um, three channels, an R, G, and a B. If you have a picture of, of a recurrent of the um, seaside, it is basically stored as a three-dimensional matrix. And this is our input uh, for the detection machine. And the detection machine uses these numbers and several functions um, through the neurons, the artificial neurons, they are called perceptrons. They all have an input, a function, and an output. And these um, form a network. So we have this information coming in, and this goes through all this uh, network. And the output is uh, basically a prediction, uh, the predicted location of, of the object uh, from a certain class, which in our case is a rib current. So with this method, we are able to detect uh, the rip current on images and video recordings as well. Sounds fabulous so far. So what was the difference compared to the original method? We used um, oriented bounding boxes instead of the 
original axis aligned ones. Basically, it's the same thing. So first we create a grid of anchor points on top of the input image, and then we put uh, multiple anchor boxes around each of these anchor points. The only difference is that we use oriented boxes and we call them region proposals. And uh, our task is to find the, the proposal which contains the largest part of the rib current. We have a step in between uh, just to make it um, computationally more efficient. We get rid of uh, some proposals that go beyond the boundaries or have a very large overlap. And then we find out uh, based on these uh, predicted uh, outputs that which region proposal uh, overlaps or covers the most part of the, of the predicted uh, rip current. So this is how it works. And you know, the biggest challenge was to, to find data. <laughs> so every data scientist knows that this is a very important thing. And uh, it is actually a very new problem. So we didn't have the opportunity to have the access to any kind of uh, rip current database. So we had to compile our own. I did a lot of work in this area. So we collected over 1,200 images altogether on Google Earth, uh, which contains more types of rip currents, um, mainly from, from uh, plan view. But uh, it was all a manual process. So uh, it was really funny, actually. <laughs> I spent a lot of nights and evenings just scrolling down on Google Earth and <laughs> trying to find the rip current. But then we could use 500, 500 uh, images to train and evaluate uh, our model. Work on this problem for quite a while. Uh, this was last year's problem to uh, implement this whole algorithm. And this year I, I focused on, um, on creating an autonomous uh, detection, rip current detection system. Um, because we had a collaboration with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association and they provided us uh, access to, to a database, to web camera um, recordings from the East Coast. And uh, we could use these to uh, test our detection algorithm. In the future, hopefully anyone with, uh, with a smartphone will be able to, to detect rip currents uh, anytime, anywhere. So yeah, this is, uh, this is our goal. And I think it's a very exciting project. And it also had a lot of great outcomes, not just in the field of uh, computer vision and, and machine learning and, uh, and all like uh, these uh, research aspects, but also other opportunities like uh, many, many uh, contests and, uh, and conferences and also another opportunity which uh, led me to explore the uh, medical sciences through the lenses of a computer vision uh, and AI scientist. <laughs> okay, don't spoiler too much because um, that would be, you know, the second milestone to explore that. But beforehand, I just wanted to thank you for walking us through your project board in that sense, even if we're in the online space due to the pandemic. But your innovation targets such a highly common phenomena that occurs regularly 
And on that, I just wanted to share a personal experience with you. I was little, but I remember in one of our family holiday vacations in Tunisia, we actually saw a man almost losing his life due to being trapped in such a rip current. And it was so terrifying to watch, let alone be in one. It's a highly useful innovation that you are developing and your strong background in robotics and programming are definitely at your advantage. You've mentioned that you would like to work on a mobile application device. And I think that's so great that you are developing this project from a science fair one to a business level one. So uh, kudos to you and just congratulations on, on making this happen and tapping into such an important field. Yeah, definitely. I actually came across um, a Twitter post um, from Dwayne Johnson that one of his friends lost his life due to a rip current. And, uh, you know, I was amazed because uh, just a, a sign that, yes, it is actually a, a really big problem. Wow, that's shocking. It really is. We you don't even think about it unless we, we hear such stories that are actually taking place in the real life. And you started exploring that, but I just wanted to add a common link that you've, of course, participated at the Hungarian Youth Innovation Contest. And I think what's so special about it is that they provide you the opportunity to converse with different um, prestigious and and highly professional mentors throughout and after the competition. And we've had a same mentor, Dr. Laszlo Pop at the University of Vienna. And you've had the wonderful opportunity to spend a considerable amount of your summertime in Vienna. I've had conversations with him and, you know, he was a tremendous help and source of support throughout that experience. And I was just so glad to discover that link between us. But now I would just love to hear about your experience in Vienna. And could you expand on that summer vacay, even in the midst of the pandemic? Um, definitely. So this whole thing, um, it was actually quite funny because um, uh, Laszlo, my my mentor uh, in the uh, innovation contest, was a really great uh, mentor and we could discuss a lot of aspects of my project because uh, he is an expert in machine learning and uh, he could give me a really useful feedback. And uh, we were just, you know, casually like talking about uh, my plans and uh, what I wanted to uh, do next. And I was a little sad, honestly, because of the SIP program uh, that I couldn't travel to, to California this year. I was so looking forward to it. And then this whole pandemic, uh, just uh, uh, the situation worsened and, uh, and I couldn't um, go to the US. So I was a little sad. But, you know, when, when you're sad that you can't have an opportunity, what do you do? So you look for uh, <laughs> other opportunities, I guess. So, yeah, I, I actually spent um, a month before going to Vienna. I spent a month um, as, a, as an intern at uh, Imagilabs. It's a Swedish uh, education uh, company. I did uh, some work in, in technical and education content development, which I really enjoyed. It was like coding and um, empowering uh, young girls with the tools of Python programming um, and such things to be and get involved uh, in science and, and coding and STEM uh, sciences. So we were talking and uh, 
And uh, we just realized that we have a lot of things in, in common. And uh, he told me a bit about his own research project and about his own startup, uh, which sounded really exciting to me. And uh, he actually ended up asking me if I was free this summer to, uh, to do some work uh, with him and his research group in Vienna. So I, I instantly said yes. And that was, uh, I think, one of my uh, best decisions uh, in my life uh, because I had so much fun doing that project and learning about the aspects of uh, computer science and uh, machine learning in, um, in medical sciences. And I could uh, a little uh, explore this whole uh, new field that I was uh, really interested in. So I worked on uh, a tumor detection project involving radiomics and uh, artificial intelligence. I helped develop an image processing algorithm as part of this research project. And it was really exciting uh, to, to learn about uh, these new approaches to tumor detection. It's based on hybrid imaging technologies like PET-CT, PET-MRI, uh, SPECT-CT, and... Uh, these 3D medical images and also other parametric analysis like the blood type, different uh, parameters, information goes into the machine learning and there's, you know, the, the output, the prediction. And I worked on the part where we uh, analyzed these 3D medical images with uh, feature extraction and uh, we tried to extract different uh, kinds of information related to the tumor itself. And uh, this is really good because uh, this new approach um, makes it possible to uh, do an in-depth analysis without the need of biopsy, which is a really, really uh, huge thing in my opinion, because biopsy is a method of uh, tissue sampling, which is commonly used in clinical practice when there's like a, a possibility for, for a tumor. It is dangerous in, in uh, some situations. It can be because, you know, it, it is an invasive uh, uh, process. With, with all the experience of, uh, of the last few decades, we are now at that stage where we are able to, to do this uh, in-depth analysis uh, just with the, uh, mainly with the 3D imaging technologies uh, and, and other non-invasive um, methods. So now we are at the stage uh, of uh, publications. Um, I actually just uh, explored it uh, a few days ago uh, in my mail inbox that there is an email um, <laughs> stating that uh, our uh, research paper, which I'm, um, I'm also a co-author on that paper, uh, has been submitted uh, for reviews. And uh, yeah, it's really exciting. So fingers crossed. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm rooting for you all the way, because essentially, in other words, you are developing or introducing a new currency for biopsy with these state of the art modern solutions being implemented in the medical field. As I was listening to you, you know, expanding on your journey in Vienna and your enthusiasm for exploring that part of of visualization or imaging identification, I could see that your artistic aspirations actually translate in machine <laughs> learning for patterns in data. 
And it's like getting the computers to learn without being specifically programmed. And it has a wide array of applications. It has that creative factor that I think you crave because it allows for a great differentiation, whether that might be in the market field or in your experience, medicine-oriented fields. Uh, I think we could talk about for hours, (laughs) probably. Um, But another thing I just wanted to quickly um, mention is uh, that with this project, I actually went to... um, a science communication competition called FameLab, uh, which is one of the um, biggest science communication competitions in the world. And uh, I got to the Hungarian finals and it was so amazing to see how everything just adds up. Um, there was a talk also about about tumors and uh, how to um, recognize them. And it was really inspiring and and fascinating to see that one is one aspect uh, and another may be totally different but they all serve the same picture and uh, everything just comes together nicely when when you look at the big picture and uh, i'm a really big fan of network science and actually that was uh, it was a uh, today um by uh, albert laszlo barabashi uh, and they also showed they had an exhibition uh, in Budapest at MUPA, and it was it was really fascinating to see these whole uh, data sets and and data visualized and exhibited. So I mean that's really artistic as well. These real life interactions with these infused fields, and since you've mentioned FameLab, just to give a little bit of background to the listeners, it's one of the largest science communication contests out there, and you got to the finals that were organized in Hungary. Well, you've had a stage presence, and you were involved in that scientific communication aspect. That's why, on that note, because you are pouring into inspiring the upcoming generation to you know conduct research and inspiring girls to be more courageous to take a plunge into that direction that what would your message be to let it be both boys and girls or girls specifically who are at the point or at a stage in their lives when they are trying to figure out where to go what would you advise them to do a lot of my aspirations um are uh, striving to to do something in this whole um, gender gap issue because I feel like girls should be encouraged to to be present in sciences and uh, in STEM sciences especially. My message um, for anyone out there <laughs> is to be really brave and to think big because don't be limited by by the way others think these beliefs are out there and they surround us constantly but what we can do if we realize that these are just there you know the sky is basically just a a view not not a limit is enormous so we can do so many things and i actually believe that there are no impossible things I really believe in the power of of a common will and and of the community. If we try to to do amazing things, uh, explore science and technology to serve humankind and to serve uh, serve our communities and uh, and our people, it is really great and it's a great purpose. And uh, 
and anyone who who has these kinds of aspirations should be encouraged and not discouraged so just be brave and and go and find opportunities and you will realize that opportunities will find you as well you put it together fantastically and i really like the fact that you've mentioned that sometimes people can limit your aspirations to a degree but not to be too dramatic, but the truth is that words can have a power of life or death. There are two kinds of people, the ones who can bring you down or the ones who actually have the power to lift you up. And that's why it's so important to be involved in a community where you feel supported, but not just in a way where they present you with fluffy or sugar-coated advice, but who can also offer you constructive criticism to grow even more. And on that note, I know that you are getting involved in several different networks of young innovators. You've recently participated at an Aquathon, uh, which is a kind of a nice fun with the Blue Planet Foundation and Design Terminal, which lasted for 24 hours and where your team received a special prize. I know that the environment is kind of different to, you know, a traditional science fair or Olympiad setting, but but I would love to hear more about it and what kind of plan did you guys come up with to tackle this issue? It was a fun thing to do. Um, <laughs> um, I, it was actually my, my first hackathon, I think. It was an idea competition where you have to come up with uh, an innovative solution to do something uh, nice for, for the environment or um, make some processes more efficient or save water and and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it was a really great experience. I had a wonderful team and we came up with a solution uh, for uh, kind of like a precision agriculture aspect, but uh, with uh, irrigation. So how to try to incorporate smart irrigation uh, and uh, make it uh, more more effective. And for that purpose, we also used a, a machine learning approach, which has uh, become a large part of my life so far. Uh, I'm really looking forward to to explore this whole computer vision and and the AI field, which is uh, really exciting, and it has so many applications. Um, I'm really fascinated how it can used in finances, in agriculture, in transportation, almost uh, anywhere, uh, and uh, in medicine. So it has a lot of uh, advantages. And I think we can always find a new area uh, of application. These opportunities are really great. Uh, I mentioned the New York Academy of Sciences. Junior Academy is something similar. So uh, they also have these challenges and you can collaborate with uh, anyone from around the world uh, to, to tackle these challenges and, and uh, work on exciting problems. I think this is something to take away <laughs> from this conversation as well. So just use these opportunities uh, to, to grow and uh, bring the best out of yourself. And don't be afraid of failure as well, because that's also there to, to shape you and and uh, shape your future. Yes, you are dropping the STEM and some really cool personal advice right now. So it's highly recommended to listen to you. I think that solving water is literally a great obstacle for the world. It's such a time as this, environmentally as well. 
it's either about getting fundamentally new sources of water or allocating the ones we have in a visor fashion, like a more intentional stewardship with the implementation of tech solutions. While expanding on that, you shared some advice, but I want to turn the tables here. Have you received a memorable advice from anyone, whether that might be professional or personal, that stuck with you in the long run or pulled on your heartstrings? And it was a really special moment in my life. It was in um, in 2018 when I first uh, traveled to the U.S. Um, it was my first flight uh, as well, so it was a really memorable experience. So it was also the first time when I visited the Stanford campus and one of my greatest friends who at the time uh, did a program there on uh, education and psychology and uh, she showed me the campus and I also took this opportunity to get um, a peek into the robotics and AI lab. Uh, since that was, you know, that was a magical place for me. So I just stepped in and um, I, I constantly felt like Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> just, you know, feeling this uh, amazing, inspiring uh, uh, atmosphere and uh, all those cool projects. And uh, Osama Khatib, Professor Osama Khatib, um, just walked out of his office. Us, me and, and my father came uh, towards us and I was shocked <laughs> you know when I um, when I saw him I, I instantly recognized him from the website and from like previous talks I, I heard I was feeling like I, I met a, ce a celebrity there my father was totally casual he was like well <laughs> you know <laughs> he introduced himself like totally like you know like I'm cool <laughs> and I was like oh my god oh my god <laughs> <laughs> you were fangirling all the way. I was trembling, and uh, he showed he showed us the lab and and some projects, and he invited us into the office. But you know, I I mean, I just walked into there. I mean, I I had no connections, literally no one I knew uh, except for uh, except for my friend who who just started uh, her program. Uh, at the education department, and uh, that was something completely different. Professor Kathy was so kind and so so open-minded. You know, he even remembered where uh, where Budapest was uh, because once he visited uh, Hungary to give a a guest lecture um, at the University of Obuda. Yeah, we had a nice chat. Just mentioned that I I you know I would love to study here at Stanford. And he just said that, you know, just he told me to to study hard. You know, he was like talking to him. He he just believed that I could do this and I could get into uh, Stanford if I wanted to. So I felt so inspired. And so I felt like I could really do this. So that was, I think, the, the time when I decided to not just to apply to Stanford, but to, you know, just expand my horizon in a way that I have never done that before. A few months later, I applied to, uh, to, to UC Santa Cruz for the science internship program, which I mentioned was uh, a game changer for me. So yeah, I mean, you never know. You never know where you end up. <laughs> and uh, I, I can just uh, give you this advice, which, which I got that uh, dreaming big is something possible and uh, just believe in it.
That's awesome. You know, what an encounter. And especially when it's coupled with the experience that these grand names, these, well, so-called STEM celebs have faith in you. Even when you don't see yourself at the point of making it, they can visualize you studying at Stanford, achieving your dreams and dreaming big just as you said. And I know that you are in senior year of high school. You are preparing to apply for U.S. colleges. You just recently done the SAT, which I think that many students can uh, feel empathy towards that experience. So I'm cheering you on all the way. And no matter what the results will be, I think you will get to the place where you need to be and you will grow and flourish where you are planted. Yeah, uh, I think so too. <laughs> but thank you. It, it's confidence I want to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a big challenge right now. Um, I could be really nervous about my future because I have no idea where I end up uh, being uh, next year. Feel this, feel this confidence and and this welcoming vibe. Uh, that especially I think um, the pandemic has also brought up. There is uh, a big, a huge need for for cooperation and uh, for helping each other, opening up a lot of new resources and new opportunities. I think if you have this this faith in yourself and in others and, uh, you know, just generally in the world, then uh, it's a really good place to, to start from. And I definitely think that wherever I, I end up, I will try to to bring the best out of the situation and, and uh, try to be myself. Optimizing your potential, no matter your uh, geographical location or your points that allocate you in that place. You've mentioned this amazing and memorable meeting. I want to ask you and kind of steer this conversation towards the if departments, which make up a very important part of the podcast. And the question goes like this. If you could choose to have dinner with anyone living today or in the past, so we could do a little bit of time travel, who would you choose and why? Oh, this is so hard. I would meet so many people <laughs> <laughs> out of scientific curiosity. I would want to meet Adam, the first person alive. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying... Okay, let's start again. I love it, actually, because people, a lot of times, you mention the names of grand scientists, of course, it's great, but it's just refreshing to hear a newer perspective. So if that came up to your mind at first hand and you want to go with it, why would you choose Adam? Just out of scientific curiosity, like, what would you ask him? If I could still meet him, like the, the first um, person alive that would be a really interesting experience i think i would ask him questions if he could you know be as intelligent to to answer those <laughs> what what is something that uh, he's looking forward to because he began human existence and what is his purpose of of doing this and th this is a question like a, a really philosophical question i think um <laughs> And I think this took me really far right now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that would be an interesting ex theoretical experience. 
Yeah, we've instantly traveled like a couple thousands of years, but it is, just as I mentioned to you previously, uh, a unique perspective to bring up. And you could ask him, why did you listen to your woman? What did Eve tell you to eat from that specific tree? These questions uh, are, you know, timeless, that what is our purpose here on Earth and uh, where this all goes and we get all these challenges um, constantly, this pandemic and uh, global crisis, the whole global warming and I don't know, so many, many things that that seem really threatening and uh, eye-opening sometimes. As, as a human being, we just, I think we just try to, to figure out <laughs> the best way to survive and, uh, and also to as a scientist, you, you also try to create solutions, not just to explore uh, these questions, but also try to provide a solution uh, to all these problems and too many problems that actually um, human beings uh, wrote up and uh, started. So, yeah, uh, I think that's a really interesting thing to think about. <laughs> I 100% agree with you. Despite the fact that science in its general terms, is highly objective. And we focus on facts, proving a thesis, and just bringing in the results that are accurate and can be reproducible. But a quintessential component of human existence is answering these moral questions, the big three, you know, where do we come from? What's our purpose on earth? And where are we going next? I wanted to bring also Hungarian reference, the tragedy of man, which is a must to read during school, which just follows um, the life of Adam and Eve also appears in many different forms. They are cast out of Eden and then they go to Athens and Rome, Prague, Paris through uh, different historical times. And it's about the struggle of mankind and really alluding to those questions that you brought up about our human existence. Definitely. I, I had the book in mind <laughs> because it had a really uh, big uh, impact on me. I think it's it's something that I always think about. As a scientist, you, uh, you think about uh, your field as a really exciting thing, but also the whole um, fact that everything comes together and has a larger purpose and something that has this moral uh, aspect and uh, whether you should do it or how you should do it. And I think this also impacts how I view my field and how I think that these technology-based uh, solutions, you can uh, provide solutions to, to urging problems of the world and, uh, and uh, you can provide better conditions for, for many people. And I think that's what really matters at the end, <laughs> you know, that you created something... Uh, that is useful and that means um, many, many good things for a lot of people. Your approach is very practical based and geared towards people and for the benefit of humankind, um, just to encircle and encapsulate that vision of yours. And it's really interesting because we can, as scientists, you know, we are not placed in a vacuum. We have our own predispositions and our own belief systems, what we put on trust in, and that can greatly shape the way we look at science and translate all the amazing interactions we can have with the different phenomena. 
Um, I could talk more about it and recently watched a film on the Ramanujan, uh, a creative, a highly skilled mind from humble beginnings who got invited to Cambridge in the beginning of 20th century. And he was just a mastermind. I don't know if you've heard about them, but it was really new to me. And he said that an equation means nothing to me unless it expresses a thought of God. Of course, no matter what you think, I think it's just a beautiful illusion that your personal connection in terms of you know moral values can translate into how you view these scientific inventions. Yeah, and David Attenborough's new film is out as well. Um, I think that's also really something that's uh, eye-opening and shared a lot of uh, sad truth about our globe and he's a person um, I watched many many times during my childhood because uh, because my father is a biologist and I always had this uh, biological interest uh, in my family my brother is the one who who took this <laughs> who took this um, interest forward because uh, he plans to be a medical scientist a doctor you know it's really interesting to to listen to these uh, new aspects i think it's a great film <laughs> and these scientific genes really do run in the family <laughs> such a great recommendation because uh, we as humans as earth keepers placed on this planet really do have the responsibility to care about the environment we are placed in and surrounded with. So I think it's definitely great that you've brought that up. But now I want to bring a little game that I play with most of the podcast guests, and it's called the This or That Game. So you got to choose either or. Are you ready? Yeah. The first one is a bit Hungarian cuisine related. So would you choose palacinta or... Let me translate this like a creep, so a thinner kind of pancake, or chimney cake, or kurtish kolach, as we know. Oh, crepes for sure, palacinta. <laughs> <laughs> With what kind of filling? We have this uh, thing called turo, that's basically cottage cheese yeah. or jam. Great choice, I support that. I'm really interested to hear, beach or mountain? Mountain. Higher altitudes? Do you like hiking? Yeah, I, I love hiking. Um, we, we actually went hiking uh, with the with one of my colleagues uh, in Vienna. Uh, I mean, not in Vienna, but uh, in the Alps in Austria. And uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I love the Alps. Such a gorgeous landscape. The next one is traveling by plane or by boat. Well, traveling by plane. But just because that symbolizes something <laughs> special to me and uh, <laughs> and to the whole fact that I was really afraid of it. And uh, it turned out that it's nothing serious. So, yeah, I would risk it again. <laughs> All right. I like that. I like that you have that personal connection with flying and reaching above. Well, not the stars, but the clouds, since we are still in the stratosphere. <laughs> And the next one, these are two major holidays in Hungary. So Easter or Christmas? Christmas. I mean, was that a question? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, I would love to have white Christmas. That's even better. <laughs> yeah, we haven't really had that in a long time. I think Hungary really needs this. <laughs> Going with the flow or following a plan? I'm usually a person who follows a plan but strives for following the flow. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I mean, I really try to, you know, be that person who follows the flow, but I don't know. I just love, you know, planning things and thinking and analyzing. So, yeah, but there's uh, room for development. Yeah, it's like you write a to-do list, but as time progresses, you might cross out something and then another point in your list might change due to circumstances or due to change aspirations. So I think that, you know, in between a strategy. It's important to keep your options open. That's true. (laughs) Okay, yeah, (laughs) definitely. All right. And now a closing question that just really wraps up the whole meaning and message of this podcast, bringing together, infusing the professional and the personal side. And the following is, what does science mean to you? Oh, everything. (laughs) Um, It's something that surrounds us gives us so many benefits and the opportunity to meet so many great people. I mean, I I just love it. I love the whole um, scientific approach to life and, and everything that uh, it brings us. I mean, really it is because even baking a cake or just think about very, not just ordinary, but very frequent happenings in your daily life. They are connected to chemistry and, and the laws of physics or even the precisely structured mathematical systems, they can be all placed in the STEM fields. And I think it's just beautiful that you, you know, you're also tapping into exploring the STEM fields, specifically robotics and machine learning and bringing solutions that overall benefits um, humankind. So thank you for, you know, expanding on your aspirations. I'm rooting for you all the way. Thank you for, you know, expanding on those interests and coming on the podcast, providing inspiration to the listeners. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. It was was a great experience and I'm really glad if I can inspire you in a way uh, to be uh, more open to your Um, creating powers that is definitely a message that many of the listeners can take to heart and formulate in their own lives hope you enjoyed today's episode the podcast is available on apple Podcasts, itunes spotify soundcloud google podcasts and more if you want to show your support and be updated on all the news make sure to hit that subscribe button leave a review which would ultimately help the algorithm to bring the message to even more people and inspire many follow the pod on instagram and facebook as well as always Thank you for taking a few moments of science with us and stay tuned for the next episode.